Welcome to Digest and Invest, the podcast from eToro that brings you the top financial stories and discusses their effect on the markets. The content that will be discussed is intended for information and educational purposes only and should not be considered investment advice or investment recommendation. Make sure you understand the risks involved in trading before committing any capital and never risk more than you are prepared to lose. Past performance is not an indication of future results. And now on to the podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome back for another episode of the Digest and Invest podcast. It's the first full week of September, uh, and I'm joined by two special people. Well, one you, you see every week, so not that special. But uh, Josh Gilbert, our market analyst based out in Australia, and uh, our special guest today, uh, Ben Laidler. Ben, how are you? Wow, special. God, I'm just happy to be back with the Dream Team. Yeah, good. Josh, yourself, how are you? Well, I don't want to answer after you slag me <laughs> off like that. But no, I am. Uh, I'm very good, and always a pleasure to have Mr. Laidler with us. Always. Yeah, looking forward to it. I mean, on on the podcast today, then we can talk about a few different different things. We've got some new Australian assets, which I guess you're the perfect man for us to to go through. That we can also talk a little bit about central banks, um, as we've got you know the next sort of few weeks this week included worth of of meetings to to go through, and then we can finish up with uh, a talk about the the energy situation i mean we were just before we got on air talking about life hacks so we can maybe talk about a few of those whether that be showering at the gym i think we were saying or uh yeah do, using the hay hair straighteners i think is what come out of your your mouth there josh so uh we'll quote you with that yeah it was actually the hair dryer but hairdryer, um, sorry yeah <laughs> and i also i would like to bring up sam i also do like how you f- forgot to mention arsenal this week uh, you've also mentioned them every other podcast episode when we started this year. Don't want to mention them this week, no? Well, just like a, a company, sometimes you do have bad earnings reports, but it's the long-term <laughs> picture which we're looking at right now, and it looks rosy for for us at the moment, is what I would be saying. Uh, but yeah, not great. But Liverpool, not great either. So um, yes, we, we can move on. Agreed? Agreed. <laughs> okay, well, look, first up, uh, Josh, you're, you're, you're sort of the best person for this uh Raul, we what's the sort of the magic update that you've got for us we've got is that some new assets right you know tell us everything that we need to know yeah that's right um so investors can now trade stocks um in uh, on the on the australian market um and ultimately it's one of the more resilient global stock markets this year um you know it's it's not a not a big market in the grand scheme with the equity markets you know if we compare it to uh the, uh, the the big daddy over in the US, but um, you know it has a lot to offer. Whether that's value, dividends, diversification, or even growth in some cases, um, it's a stable region here in Australia. Um, ultimately, a, a low risk uh, for for investors, uh, and that's thanks to a pretty strong economy. Um, interestingly, Australia was actually one of the only major economies to avoid a recession um, during the the global financial crisis as well. Um, had uh, you know thirty year growth streak as well in there as well. So you know you know set records in that sense in, in GDP numbers. So you know a fantastic region, and ultimately we we realised that you know there was investors crying out to to look towards the Australian market. So that's what we we've looked to do. Um, and what's interesting, I mentioned diversification with the ASX. It has a big weighting towards financials and materials. So it actually makes up 50% of the top 200 stocks. And when you compare that to US indices or UK markets, that's sort of vastly different. 
Um, but the main focal point um, that is talked about the most here in Australia and, and is you know m- makes up the biggest stock for sure is is mining stocks. So the biggest, as we know, is BHP, and then obviously Rio Tinto. You know there'll, there'll be UK investors listening to this that are familiar. Uh, with those names and we'll know those very well but then you've also got names like fortescue metals pilbara minerals etc so mining stocks are really the talk of um, australia if you like um, that's due to sort of us having the, a wealth of obviously natural resources whether that's iron ore, copper nickel lithium and obviously gold um, that all these companies do mine um, but also we benefit in that sense because we are very closely um, located to China, and obviously that has a huge demand for commodities. But at the same time, you know, you you have to obviously balance that act with with China. Uh, at the same time, if there's no demand from China, then ultimately those sort of stocks do tend to to struggle as well. Um, and in a, in a period like we are at the moment, you know, investors are looking for defensive assets. They're looking for robust growth. They're looking for big profits, but also solid dividends to sort of reward shareholders in this environment. Um, you know, some of the miners that just sort of came out with earnings, you know, probably very similar to, you know, the oil names like Shell and BP on the, on the FTSE 100. But the miners that we've had here have come out with some, you know, huge earnings. You know, BHP is the is probably the main one to note record dividends, record profits, etc. Um, and in this sort of current market, you know, with this financial tightening cycle, tech stocks are obviously underperforming, as we know. But, you know, on the ASX, it has very little exposure to technology stocks, as I was sort of mentioning with the weighting of the, the market there. But instead, you know, we can look towards actually the ASX for you know, even some rece- recession proof stocks. We've got healthcare, CSL, Sonic, Sonic Healthcare. You've got consumer staples in Coles and Woolworths. And then you've got industrial stocks such as Transurban, which looks after all of the tolls here in Australia. And uh, that's a, a pretty good name to, to look at um, if you have to pay the tolls here in Sydney because it, it, it's uh, it's pretty expensive to, to drive here. Um, but yeah, give, given how well energy and commodities have performed the year, this year, um, the index is down just sort of 9.5% year to date. And that's compared to you know the 18% of the S&P 500. Not quite up there with the FTSE, but... Um, you know, but but still, you know, pretty resilient in the grand scheme of things. But importantly, um, the local market is rife with dividend paying stocks. Um, and it's a big, big focus for um, Australian investors. Uh, we have a great uh, dividend system with franking credits here as well. Um, but it's great for those that are looking at income. You know, the index itself has a dividend yield of 4.74%. That's one of the highest globally. Um, and just to get one up on on the, the the old UK market, it's higher than the FTSE 100 as well. And then if we look at nine of the top ten stocks um, in the index, they all pay a dividend of more than three and a half percent. So there's a great yield we have from a lot of the stocks there as well. Um, and to make it a bit easier, we Etoro have also launched the Aussie Economy Smart Portfolio uh, to give investors an easy way for. The, uh, to gain exposure to Australian equities as well. So yeah, look, it's great to have them on there. Um, and, you know, there's plenty on offer there for, for investors. Yeah, I mean, if, if that was a, a 10 mark question, you'd have got 12. You smashed it. <laughs> you did. Thanks, mate. Oh, but absolutely, yeah, I mean, and, and is Wool, that Woolworths? That's the Woolworths that we used to have in, in the UK as well, or not? It's not, it's not, unfortunately, oh. no. This, Wool, this Woolworths runs supermarkets, but it also runs um, bottle shops, which are basically alcohol stores. Weirdly enough, in Australia, fun fact, you can't buy alcohol in supermarkets. So, oh, really? Yeah, you have to, they have separate shops on the side where you have to buy the alcohol from. Um, yeah, so. There's a little fact for, for all our 
our listeners. Ben, just before we, we move on to the, to the next subject, what do we see in general from investors' behaviours when it comes to investing in stocks outside of their own country? Yeah, interesting question. So, you know, we actually ask people that. We're, we have this quarterly global retail investor survey. And when you ask people, it's, it's basically a split, right? About half of equity portfolios are invested abroad uh, and half in the sort of domestic home market. Uh, interestingly, uh, you know, I was looking at the data before I came on here. Australians are amongst the most bullish in the world on their own market. So 64% um, of, you know, Australians have, you know, are, are investing locally. That's the second highest, uh, second highest in the world. Um, and, and maybe, as Josh was saying, I mean, maybe that's just, you know, this very strong sort of long-term performance that, you know, I think Australia held the record for the longest uninterrupted time without a recession until until the COVID, until the yeah. COVID crash. Um, so, you know, obviously having a lot invested in your home market, it, it's pretty natural, right? I mean, you we, we talk a lot here about you know, investing what you know, but obviously, you know, companies in your own market, you sort of know them, know them better. Um, you know, less worries about sort of overseas currencies or macro risks. Um, but, you know, on the flip side, obviously investing in only one market definitely cuts back on your diversification, uh, you know, does shrink that opportunity set, um, you know, pretty significantly as well. And and comes, you know, at a time when it's probably never been easier or cheaper uh, to, to invest overseas. I and mean, we've just been talking about the, you know, our Australia smart portfolio. I mean, there's obviously thousands of ETFs out there um you know where you pay a few basis points so um uh, you know probably most people are not diversified enough at this point even if um you know having a big slug in your local market is um you know frankly natural and to be expected yeah i sometimes wonder if there's a general bias because if you tend to sort of work for these companies as well you know you, you probably know the companies maybe a little bit more they feel more comfortable, as sort of Ben says as well. And the ASX um, also has, you know, it's a, it's, it's a much easier market to list on, uh, I would say, than probably the rest of the world as well. So we have a lot a lot of smaller stocks, a lot of small caps in there as well, um, in terms of just the, the broader market. So, you know, sometimes you can work for a lot of companies that are, that are smaller in that sense. But, you know, as we say, having a globally diversified portfolio is going to help that manage that risk, especially as we go through different cycles, which we have done over, you know, what, the last two years. I think that's been more evident than ever. So, Yeah. Well, if, if anyone listening and or watching, I should say, on YouTube has any questions about this, I mean, Josh has, has nailed it completely. But if you do have any further, feel free to, in the comments, I'm pointing down below like it should be there, um, feel free to to get them in and we can answer as and when. Uh, next up for us then is, is central banks. You know, over the, the next couple of weeks, Ben, you know, what are you looking out for? We have either had or have had, depending when people are listening to the ECB, Bank of Canada and the RBA this week. And of course, we've got the Bank of England coming up. Um, next week and then the fed on the 21st as well so what are you what are you keeping an eye on it's a bit of a deluge um it is so i mean to keep it simple i guess 0.75 is the magic number which i think is pretty much what everybody is going to hike by um those are pretty big numbers right i mean this is again this narrative central banks are on the front front foot they're taking advantage um you know some of them are late to the party those that aren't are sort of taking advantage of the fact that economies are not in recession yet. And, you know, they're trying to get as many rate hikes done as they possibly can, if only to give themselves room to cut interest rates, you know, in the future, if they have to. So, you know, ECB's first off, you know, tomorrow. Um, they're desperate to get off zero, which is where they are right now. They've only hiked interest rates once so far. 
So they've been very behind the curve. Um, but you know they want to anchor inflation expectations. I mean, inflation is nine percent in Europe and going higher. Uh, and as I say, they want to build a buffer to potentially cut interest rates when recession comes, which it is coming in Europe. It's just a question of how big. Um, and if they can help the plunging euro, um, which is now at you know zero point nine eight versus the dollar down fifteen percent this year, I mean, so much the better, right? Um, flip side, if they don't raise by seventy five then um, we're probably going to see more euro weakness. You know, similar Bank of England. You know, we've got a new conservative prime minister here that wants to spend $130 billion, um, billion pounds supporting the economy. Um, you know, that's going to help the economy. That leaves inflation for now. But all that money is, yeah. you know, going to be spent and is probably just going to keep inflation sort of, you know, high for longer. And the Bank of England, you know, is going to want to, to, to respond to that. You know, they haven't been as aggressive as, People like the Fed, so you know they are in sort of catch-up mode uh, as well. But similarly to Europe, a uh, recession's coming, and um, just a question of how big. And they're going to want to have some sort of ammunition to respond to that, you know, potentially. Um, and then you know the big daddy, as um, Josh alluded to, the Fed, right? I mean, they're talking tough. They're pretty much an autopilot for seventy-five basis points, um, um, you know, coming up. But clearly, um, they've been hiking interest rates more, more aggressively for longer. Uh, so they're nearer the end. So that tightening pace from the Fed, I think is going to, this will probably be the last 75 basis point hike from the Fed. And then we'll sort of taper down to, you know, 50 basis points, 25 basis points and probably be done, um, you know, around Christmas. But but I guess the big takeaway is, you know, central banks are still being pretty aggressive here. They're on the front foot. That's, you know, pushing up bond yields. And, um, you know, they're trying to sort of anchor and bring down inflation. Yeah, interesting. The RBA yesterday was sort of the other way. Uh, they're, they're on their sort of fifth consecutive hike compared to the ECB as well. Um, another 50 basis points, which was expected, um, brings the cash rate to 2.35%. Um, and that was the fourth consecutive 50 basis point hike as well. And bearing in mind, we're, we're probably not in as bad of a state as sort of the the rest of the world, although our inflation here in Australia probably is, is yet to peak as well. But they sort of were using commentary very similar to a bit of a hawkish sort of statement that was very similar to that of Jerome Powell's, you know, saying it was, you know, committed to doing everything that it can and to, to sure that inflation gets the target over time. And they used, you know, the economists count how many times they use the word committed in their statement and all those sort of types of things as well. But I think ultimately what it seems to be on the front from a lot of the leading economists in Australia is that ultimately they're, you know, that very similar to the Fed, you know, they're, they're waiting on that incoming economic data. They're not on a preset path. Um, they're likely to move to 25 basis points um, to bring the, the rate to 2.5%, which the RBA are calling their sort of neutral rate, um, and then ultimately sit and wait to sort of assess the impact of their previous tightening cycle because ultimately they've said that they don't believe that um, they've really seen uh, the full effect of the um, tightening cycle yet. They acknowledge some weakness in the housing market as well, um, which to me I think means they might take a step back at the next meeting. But um, yeah, maybe I, I think that at the start the RBA was maybe slightly behind the curve, but a, a lot of discussion is now is whether they've managed to, to sort of cut, catch up and, and get to that point um, where they can start to sort of slow this down. But they they weren't sort of, they were erring on the side of caution. They weren't ready to move towards sort of a dovish take just yet. So. Yeah, ma ma massive 
massive couple of weeks or few weeks I guess and I'm buzzing for it it feels like the last couple of weeks of August it was just okay let's get through this now let's get through this let's get back to school back to markets and I'm ready for it I mean it's really interesting you know what's going to happen just in the currency space as well because of these interest rate decisions and Ben mentioned there you know euro below parity significantly there's even talk and I'm, I'm going to put the question to both of you can can the pound against the dollar? Do you think that can go to parity? Because people are, are starting to talk about that. What do you reckon, Ben? You can go first. Um, or is that just one of those like, sensational? Right? I I always make the joke about the UK that if you just look at the macro numbers and sort of black out the name, it looks like a bad emerging market. <laughs> um, and and so that would argue for the sort of weaker currency. Um, I do wonder, though, that, you know, there has been such a pile on on the UK that um, and, and we're all the bad news is out there um, that, you know, how much worse it can get um, for sterling. I also sort of draw this parallel, right, that, um, you know, markets are not economies. Um, so sterling's been weak, but, you know, FTSE 100 is still the best performing equity market in the world, despite the UK being the poster child for, you know, global stagflation. It's crazy to think, isn't it? Imagine if you looked at all of the economic data, right? And then you went, okay, here are all the stock markets, but you're not allowed to see which one it is. You wouldn't, well, I mean, from a normal retail standpoint, you would have never have put that the UK would be the best performing market. I mean, you obviously make a great point that economies aren't markets, but it's crazy to think that the situation that UK is in right now, I apologize for, you know, putting you under pressure here all of you in terms of saying how bad it is but <laughs> to, to 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 say it's the best performing market globally is is crazy in my view but markets markets yeah. well look, I, i've got a, a good friend coming over to he's was born in in the uk and lived there most of his life but the last of 10 years he's been in america and he's flying over december and he's just licking his lips looking at the exchange rate he's getting at the moment i think a lot of people in america if they wanted a quick holiday to europe you're going to get pretty good deals on, on your hotels, maybe not so much flights, but uh, everything else. Um, our final subject today is about sort of the energy crisis situation. Ben, how are you seeing this at the moment? Is it glass half full? Is it glass half empty? Are we sitting here now thinking it's going to get worse and worse? Or on the flip side, are we saying, you know what, we've priced in the worst case scenarios. How are you at the moment seeing it? Yeah, so I guess I'm maybe not as negative as um, maybe things look if you pick up the newspaper or turn on the news, yeah. right? I mean, Europe's obviously the centre of the of the energy crisis. Uh, if you're a European government today, there are basically no good options, right? They're all bad. It's just a question of how bad. Um, so you're going to see a dramatic ramp up in government spending um, to try and cap energy costs um, over the winter uh, to you know, bring down inflation, to support consumers uh, and businesses through the winter. Um, you know, the UK has just been the latest, right? Um, they're going to spend 130 billion pounds of prox. That's four to five percent of GDP. So the numbers are, are absolutely gargantuan. Yeah. And I suspect in the fullness of time, you're going to see very similar programs from, you know, across across Europe. You know, the good news is this is going to bring inflation down, right? Just mechanically, you know, mechanically, the estimate side maybe brings UK inflation four percent lower than it would otherwise have been. Uh, it's also obviously going to help consumers because you're basically giving them 130 of consumers and businesses. So, you know, any recession that's coming will be a lot milder than it would otherwise have been. So definitely short-term positive um, and a relief to markets that have got very, very stressed. 
Uh, the other silver lining here, I think, is that we've probably seen the worst for gas prices, right? Russia has now cut all supply off, which is the worst case scenario. That is now the reality, not a scenario. Uh, but, you know, gas storage levels across Europe have been rebuilt to over 80%. Um, demand is already falling with prices this high. You know, if you don't need to use the gas, then why would you ever use it with prices this high? Um, you know, as I say, governments you know, are going to be intervening more and more. And luckily, I mean, you look at the forecasts, we hopefully should get a mild winter, which um, would also help on the demand side. So, you know, bring that all together. You look at European gas prices, they're down by about a third from recent peak levels. Um, now, still, they're dramatically high, but, um, you know, they are, um, you know, well off the highs. So, so that's sort of the relative good news. Now, now, the sort of bad news here is that, you know, the costs of this um, crisis are dramatic. They will need to be paid at some point. As I say, the UK is going to spend 5% of GDP, um, you know, essentially subsidizing sort of gas. This what this means longer term, you know, more debt, high for longer inflation, you know, higher for longer interest rates. And um, a lot of this has been playing out through currency markets, right? That's why the pound has just had this terrible few months. Um, and, and so I think that's the asset class that is sort of most sort of sensitive to this. But, you know, again, glass half full, I, I think, you know, we priced in a lot. Um, maybe gas prices have peaked. Maybe we get a bit of consumer relief in the short term, but you know, ultimately there's 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 a there's a bigger cost to pay longer term. Yeah, Josh, I bet you're buzzing. You're you're going into the nice summer now, aren't you? You know, no no cold wow. winter for Josh. Well, Sydney's had the highest rainfall this year on record, and it's not even the end of the year yet. So <laughs> I'm not going to get myself a world that doesn't have a drought right now. Yeah, well, and this and I moved here for to not have. I, I moved here for droughts. And haven't got one, so <laughs> that's that's no fun. I was just going to say to you both, though, you know, obviously Liz Truss, you know, got elected yesterday. Um, it is whoever would have got elected, right? It seems like an impossible task for anybody to do anything for the UK right now. You know, how well, does spending? I just, I just, I just don't get it. And I also wonder, you know, in terms of anybody that's ever run a government, Ben, from your experience. If you can, again, I'm putting you proper on the spot here, but, you know, thinking back over the years, is there anybody in, in a government anywhere that's actually run a government properly or done actually <laughs> a good job? I'm just, I'm just, I'm just wondering, because I just think, you know, the UK right now, if you're stepping into it, what are you going to do? I just don't, I feel like you couldn't do anything right at this point. So, right, all the policy options are bad. <laughs> um, you know, that's why Sterling is basically at the weakest level in, what, since 1985? Um, uh, the, 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 there are no good options, right? I, I guess mm. we've we've priced a lot in. Um, we I, I, that's that's all I can say, right? I mean, we, we've just about picking through. the right ones, picking the right the, the right of the bad decisions. We've got to get through the next six months. Again, it's 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 going to be tough. It's just a question of sort of how tough relative mm. to you know the fact that we've just priced we've priced an awful lot in here um or yeah. already and and again my broader point you know stock markets and not all asset classes are you know are, are, are tied into the economy so yeah I, i'm not going to sugarcoat it it's, it's a tough situation it's just you know markets always forward looking you know sterling's already down 15 percent um you know FTSE 250 which is the smaller mid caps which are the ones that have really been hurt by the macro scenario down you know down 20 percent already um don't believe all the headlines yeah, uh, it's, it can only be up from here. Things cannot. No. <laughs> Your words, not mine. Yeah, yeah. 
yeah well on on, on that note let's let's uh let's wrap the the poddy up i suppose we need to finish on a, on a bright note and for all the arsenal fans out there we're still top of the league so uh yeah things aren't all doom and gloom for now um but look it's, uh, if you've made it through this far as they shake their head at me um just remember you can head over to the Itoro academy podcast guide guides videos blogs everything you can want and more is there uh ben josh it's been an absolute pleasure um and i'll see you both soon thanks very much thank you all goodbye sam take care you've been listening to digest and invest from etoro for more information visit etoro.com <laughs>